There are certain moments and words that shaped a new era in pro wrestling. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Brett screwed Brett. Die, Rocky, die. Introducing the Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. Tune in as we relive one of the most exciting, intense, and over-the-top times in WWE with new interviews with the voices that made the promos, calls, and catchphrases into history. Listen now. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with Fandle, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in. Friday Energy. It's New York, New York. But yours truly, JJ Johnson-Stremski, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And I think hell might be freezing over. And the reason I say that right out of the gate is because I'm going to be starting a show, throwing all sorts of bouquets the way of Aaron Boone. That's right. Johnson-Stremski. He's showing love to the Yankee manager he wanted fired last year. And listen, forget about last year. Forget about the year before that. It's over. It's done with. It's about the here and now. Aaron Boone had as good a game as he's probably ever had as Yankee manager and made a decision that without a doubt would not have been made a year ago. Yankees are playing a beautiful 3-0 game against the Blue Jays, even though their offense is doing absolutely nothing. Kyner Falefa. Trevino are basically a hitting stars. It's 3 0 in the ninth inning. You waited an hour and a half for the game to start, and Aroldis Chapman comes into the game. And how many times, folks, have we seen Aroldis Chapman when it's a little rain, or maybe it's a rain delay, and I get feels and I get flashbacks to the Anaheim debacle I was at last year, 
There was a game against the Texas Rangers back in 2016, I remember. Bad weather. He couldn't throw a strike, the whole deal. Well, that was Chapman tonight. Chapman comes in the game, had no idea where the ball was going. And you know, Yankee fans know these sort of efforts from Chapman because you could tell instantaneously. He walks the bases loaded. Aaron Boone last year allows Aroldis Chapman, for better or worse, to work himself out of that jam and probably doesn't work himself out of that jam with Springer and Bichette and Guerrero all coming to the plate. Aaron Boone showed me some chutzpah. Aaron Boone showed me some stones because he yanked them. He yanked them. He goes to Michael King, and Michael King is fantastic. Gets the strikeout, gets the double play, and the Yankees end up winning the game. Credit to Aaron Boone because that's a move he does not make a year ago. And with this bullpen being the way that it is, they got options gore out there. Waldis Chapman is not getting that sort of leash because you have other options. You have other guys you can turn to. So it's not the number one story of the night, which we will get to momentarily from a Yankee perspective, but I feel I got to highlight it because of all the criticism I've given the Yankee manager. It just goes to show here on New York, New York, and for myself, we're fair and balanced. When we got to bash, we bash. We got to give praise. We got to kiss an ass. We kiss an ass if we need to. Heck of a job by the Yankee manager and a heck of a job by Michael King. But the biggest takeaway from this Yankee game tonight, it's not that they split a four-game series with the Blue Jays. It's not that Connor Falefa came out and had a couple of hits and ran a little bit and did his thing. It's not Trevino and his pitch framing. It is the brilliance of what you saw from Luis Severino. Severino was magnificent tonight against a really powerful, dangerous Toronto Blue Jay lineup. You saw what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. did yesterday. Hitting balls basically in the batter's box, out of the ballpark, hitting three home runs against the New York Yankees. Well, it's a heck of a lot nicer seeing Vladimir Guerrero, the new Yankee killer, go 0 for 3 with three strikeouts against Severino. And Severino had the jam early on with some shaky Yankee defense. Weirdly enough, Anthony Rizzo, bases loaded, one out. He settles in. He gets out of that jam and then got stronger and then got better as the game went along. And the Yankees need that version of Luis Severino. They need Luis Severino to be that legitimate number two starter. How many times have we talked about that throughout the spring and going into the start of the year? Against that lineup, five innings, two hits, two walks, six strikeouts. That's beyond something to build on. That's super encouraging, and that should fire you up from a Yankee perspective. Look, the Yankee offense has not done much the first week of the year. Donaldson has not done much. Gallo's a disaster, don't get me started. And the amount of people that defend Gallo on social media are embarrassing. I mean, I, I guess they're all the nerds and the advanced stats guys. And I like to side with you guys more often than not. I'm not anti-advanced stats, but the idea that you're going to sit there and tell me that Joey Gallo's a good player when he's not, please, don't, don't insult my intelligence. The guy's done nothing but stinks since he's put on a Yankee uniform. Don't lecture me on hard hit balls. Don't lecture me on on-base percentage. Don't lecture me on power when he's hitting 180. And he can't impact the game. Please, spare me. So the Yankees did not hit it all, but you take a 4-3 and three homestand. Two or three against the Red Sox, split 
doing nothing offensively against the Blue Jays, take it. Now go get fat against the Orioles. Last year, the Yankees did not win a division and did not host a wild card game because they weren't good enough against the Orioles. Minimum, go and take two out of three. And let's be honest, go sweep the series. Yankees got some softies now coming up on the schedule. Tigers were a little better than advertised, but that's a team you should beat. Then they got the Guardians. Then they have the Royals. You, you got to get off to a good start. We've talked about that. All in all, solid first homestand for the Yanks. Now, for the Mets, they get ready for their home opener, and you got to be fired up. They had a fabulous, fabulous road trip. They went three or four against the Nationals. They went two or three against the Phillies. McNeil swinging about well. Brandon Nimmo swinging about well. Scherzer 2-0, even when he's not at his very best, he wins. That's a great sign. You know, people were asking me about that when it comes to Scherzer the other day. They're like, oh, well, JJ hasn't been his dominant self. Well, guess what? He's 2-0 to start the year. That's exactly what I want to see, and that's exactly the sort of ingredient that he has brought to the rotation. He's going to win games. When he has his best stuff, he's going to win. When he doesn't have his best stuff, he's going to win. That's what Max Scherzer has done his entire career. And Alonzo's red hot. He's hitting bombs. He's driving in runs. It's a terrific start to the year. And I'm sure the Mets fan is going to be fired up at City Field. They're playing a hapless team over the weekend. Bassett on the mound Friday. They're finally doing the right thing. It's long overdue in getting a Tom Seaver statue up at that ballpark. The greatest Met in the history of the franchise. New ownership gets it. No surprise there. And I think it's going to be a feel-good weekend if you're a Mets fan. I think you're going to get fat against the Nationals. I think you're going to love the fact that you're going to get home. You got some good weather on Friday and Saturday. You got some afternoon games coming up over the next couple of days. All in all, I think it's a pretty good Metland. Positive update, all things considered, with Jacob DeGrom. And away you go here in this 2022 season. So, good homestand for the Yankees. Terrific road trip for the Mets. and. Hopefully a feel-good 2022 baseball season all the way around. We'll have our issues. We'll have our pitfalls. We'll have our problems. But winning baseball teams and two teams that should be playing in the postseason. Now, speaking of a team that's playing in the postseason, the Nets did what they needed to do against the Cavaliers. They're in. They're locked in in that seventh seed. Now the stage is set. The Nets and the Boston Celtics. And consider this. The Nets, who were... Title favorites at the beginning of the year. That same Brooklyn Net team is an underdog in round one to the Boston Celtics. And guess what? It is fair, it is reasonable, and it is justified. Because from Jan on, on find me a team that has played better than Boston. Can't do it. With the way they've gotten after it on defense with the way Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have finished games, with what Marcus Smart has provided, with what Al Hofford has provided. The Celtics are the deeper team. The Celtics are the better team going into this series. It's a star-driven league. It goes without saying. Durant and Irving, they got to be superheroes in this series. They can't have off nights. Because the Nets can't survive. The Nets are going to need Durant and Irving to be at their very best. And I'm sure everybody listening is saying, yeah, JJ, no shit. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Yeah, I'm aware of that. You can't. The Nets will not win games in this series. And they will not win this series 
if it's alternating nights from KD and from Kevin and, you know, with Kyrie, you're like, bah, bah, bah. no, 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 no. You notice I went KD, Kevin, Kyrie. Uh, maybe it's the Freudian slip because they're missing a third star, but neither here nor there. Those two guys have got to be great. What I'm trying to figure out, though, who's going to step up for Brooklyn and be that number three here in this series? Is it going to be Patty Mills, who has a lot of playoff experience? Can it be Curry with the state of his ankle right now? I, I don't know. Curry did not finish the season strong. He did not look like the same guy that we saw when the Nets got him from the Philadelphia 76ers, but they need something out of Seth Curry. They need him. Drummond gave him good minutes in that Cleveland game. Can Drummond take advantage of the fact that Robert Williams is not going to be out there for Boston? Nets got to attack the rack. KD and Kyrie got to do their part. Somebody else has got to step up, and they got to bring it on defense. You know the Celtics are going to bring it on defense. That has been their MO. That has been their calling card in turning their season around. I just don't like the disjointed nature of what I've seen from Brooklyn all year and the cohesion and the unity and the way the Celtics have played together over the last couple of months. They have turned me into a believer, and I think they are underpriced in this series. I think you're getting a little bit of the Brooklyn tax because of the two big superstars. I'm going with the more well-rounded team. This is not my anti-net bias coming and, and checking in here. I think the betting line and the way it has moved kind of indicates as such. A lot of the pros hopped on Boston immediately. A lot of the public is betting the Nets at plus money. I will ride with the professional bettors in this case. I am taking the Celtics. I think this is a long series. I think this is a competitive series. I think this goes seven games. But I think the overall depth of the roster ends up being the difference. And I think the Celtics have a couple of megastars of their own, including Jason Tatum, who I think will be up to the challenge going up against KD and going up against Kyrie. Sorry, Net fans. You guys probably aren't surprised. Been down on the Nets all year. I know people are probably thinking I'm kissing up the hill from Los Angeles. Listen, this is a lesser of two evils for me. This is a win-win or a lose-lose, no matter which way you look at it. Like, I'm all in on Milwaukee either way next round. So this is a one-and-done type deal for me. But I'm laying the 130 on FanDuel Sportsbook, and I got the Celtics winning this series. Classic first-round series in seven games. So in the spirit of being fair and balanced, preview the Nets and the Celtics. We have the premier play-by-play -play broadcaster not just in New York, not just in the NBA circles, in all sports. Had this discussion with Benigo the other day on the golf course. I can have one guy doing a game right now. It's not even close. And I have a lot of great broadcasters I admire and respect. I love Mike Green. Love him. I love Kevin Booker. I love Al Michaels. I think right now is as good as he gets and does everything. He's been with the Nets every step along the way. He will preview the Nets and the Celtics. That's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So with the playoffs here, Nets get ready for a first round series with the Boston Celtics. It's Bill Simmons' boys against 
Iron Eagles dies. I mean, <laughs> I like the sound of that. You know, Iron amongst the broadcasting elite. Simmons is Simmons. Simmons versus Eagle. What do we think? How are you, my friend? Uh, JJ, you know, you just got right down to the core of this series. Uh, Bill, as we know, is going to be all in and every aspect of it. And I will absolutely feel the same on, on the net side, unless I get assigned a Turner game where I've got to be down the middle. So, you know, well, I, I can walk that say, professional so for line. For you now, does Yes have any of these games? How does it work? First round only, right? Yeah, so first round only for local, but if they're exclusive national windows like ABC, you don't. Game one, exclusive national window because everybody wants to see the Nets and the Celtics, and I get it. There's a lot of pop, uh, there are a lot of big names, and there's a lot of anticipation. So, uh, yeah, few games in there potentially for Yes, and obviously doing first round, second round stuff for Turner. So I'll be uh, bopping around the country a bit. You know, before we get into this series, I got to know, you're immersed in the NCAA tournament for weeks. You, Spinarkle, Jamie Ertle, fabulous. You get the best games, by the way. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I, I actually was fearful, and I stayed away from betting Purdue in the St. Peter's game <laughs> because I said Eagle and Spinarkle are doing the game. They had St. Peter's. This game is going to be close. You are now the new Gus Johnson where Gus used to always get these games that come down at a wire with Cinderella's gore. Are you appreciative of the fact now that you have embraced the role of like close games, sound the alarm, Iron Eagle is on the call? I like to think of myself as a pretty self-aware person, JJ. I, I am not buying it. I, I do not buy into the fact that my role at the table broadcasting the game plays any kind of impact on the end result. But now I understand from a fan's point of view, and certainly for someone like yourself that might be laying a couple of shekels, you allow everything to creep into the equation. Absolutely. So we you've got to take every element in. No every doubt. aspect. So I can't fight you on that part of it. I just know from from within myself, when I walk into the arena to do NCAA tournament games, I do not say or think for a moment, all right, this is going to be a huge upset because I'm here. <laughs> it just never factors in. Well, I think we should start thinking about that. But in all seriousness, <laughs> is it a tough transition for you? You're around college basketball for this like two to three week stretch, and then you have to gear up for the Nets and for NBA postseason games. And I know you're kind of doing it throughout the NFL season and with the basketball, yeah. so you have experience with that. Is that tough for you this time of the year? It really isn't. I've been doing it so long and I'm so accustomed to it. I've done the tournament since 1998. I've been doing the NBA since 1994. And I've been doing national playoff stuff for a long time. NBA TV, even before I was doing the, the TNT games, I would get a, a, a smattering of games. Bill Raftery and I were doing games because the Nets were often not a part team. of it. I miss oh, that was, team. That team is just, oh, don't get me started. Don't get me fun. started. A lot Emotional. of fun. With, there are a yeah. lot of teams for you, though, that get me emotional. Like, you and Spinarco are great. I mean, you you and it, let's be honest. You can't find a broadcaster. Benigo and I were talking about this on the broadcast, and I'm not just trying to kiss your ass. I can't <laughs> think of a color guy that you've worked with that has sucked because you bring the best out of them. 
I mean, I love Raftery. I love Spinocli, my favorites. But in all seriousness, that's the magic to you, my man. Well, that means a lot. That That's probably the best compliment you can give me is that I'm a good teammate and I care about how we come across, not just how I come across. And it matters to me a lot. And I do think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I got paired with Raf in 1995. So when you get that level of collaboration and someone that cares about how everything is is presented, then that's instilled in you. So now as I started getting other assignments with other analysts, that was in my head. Hey, we've got to sound good as a team, not just me individually. So uh, that means a lot, JJ, truly. That's, uh, that's the best thing you could say. Well, listen, it's easy when you're doing a game. Let's just put it that way. I can't say the same for others, but that's a story for a different day. Now, if I would have told you in October the Nets would be a part of the NBA playing tournament, what would you have given me? 500 to 1? 1,000 to 1? 10,000 to 1? I mean, it's kind of crazy, and I understand a lot transpired. Harden gets traded. Irving can't play in home games. Durant misses time. Harris has been gone. Yep. But still, Ian, the Nets in the plane, it just sounded weird, dude. Weird. Yeah, I, I would have laughed in your face. I would have laughed at you. I would not have believed it for a moment. Even with everything that you just laid out, you still have, at least theoretically at the time, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, some combination of those three. Now, as we saw over the course of the season, you never really had all of them. So that's why it was tough to evaluate and it was tough for them to get on any kind of consistent winning track. Something that's so obvious in the NBA, when you've earned a one, a two, a three seed in the Eastern or Western Conference, that means you figured it out over the course of an 82-game season. You figured out how to win at a very high level. And normally that translates. You don't get a lot. You get some. You don't get a lot of upsets in the NBA playoffs. Eight, one, seven, two, three, six, a little different. Now you're starting to get into closer from uh, evaluating team three and team six. The lines blur. But one, two, seven, eight, it means at seven, eight, you were inconsistent. And that's what the Nets were. They never got to a point where you could count on them on a night in, night out basis. There were flashes. There were moments they picked apart the Miami Heat. They dominated the Philadelphia 76ers. They had a big win over the Milwaukee Bucks. They crushed Chicago when Chicago had it rolling as the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. So there have been moments, but there was never sustained consistency from this team. So you come into the postseason now after winning the play-in game, and it's a clean slate. If you're the Nets, that's exactly what you need. But you still have to take into account what's happened over the course of the year. And the way Boston played from Jan 1 into the start of the playoffs has to be respected. This team showed that they could win in different ways. And their one-two punch of Tatum and Brown is formidable. And they're better than they've ever been together. So when you're trying to break down this series and, and figure out who's going to emerge, I know a lot of national pundits are looking at the Nets and just automatically saying, well, you got Durant, you got Irving, you're going to win. 
I don't think it's as simple as that. I would agree with that. The Celtics have been unbelievable since January. Tatum's played out of his mind. They've played really good defense. The advanced metrics, Ian, look at me, quoting advanced metrics. That's when we know we're living in a strange and crazy (laughs) world because I've embraced them in a lot of different ways and a lot of different sports. They favor the Boston Celtics, and that's why the odds in this series have shifted a little bit. But from a Nets perspective, do you get the sense you're with them every day? Are they playing their best basketball of the year going into the postseason? They showed you something in the back end, the final week of the regular season, where they had to win those games. They needed to have the seven seed. They couldn't take chances with the eight seed, playing on the road in a play-in, potentially losing that game, then hosting a 9-10 winner, which in their case would have been an opponent that they had problems with. Charlotte and Atlanta gave them problems this year. They couldn't take their chances in a 9-10 setup, one game, one and done, and you lose, it's over. That's why I was trying to explain to people when I was doing these interviews late in the season, the, the fact that you could run the gamut between a team that could get clipped in the play-in or win an NBA championship, that's a lot. I can't think of any scenario in my year. No. Now, the plan is new. I get that, Ian. But when do you talk about teams that are in the 7-8 range that could win a title? Like, that does not happen. Doesn't happen. Never. Doesn't happen. No. In the NBA, it does not happen because your record is what it is. And you can spin it and you could say, well, but we didn't have that. And look, the Nets have many arguments they could make. They went 3-17 and 17 during that stretch without Kevin Durant. Three and 17, that's 14 games under 500. That's hard to come back from. So the fact that the team did stabilize enough to get the seven seed, yes, to answer your question, they built a little bit of momentum. But even in all of those games, the four wins to end the regular season and the win over Cleveland in the play-in, none of those wins were dominant. It's over in the first quarter. There were still moments in each one of those games where the opponent threatened and a play here, a play there, it could have gone sideways in the fourth quarter. So the the variables in play here for the Nets are still very similar to what I thought during the regular season. They could come out and play excellent basketball or they could lay an egg defensively where they just have breakdown after breakdown. This series is going to reveal whether or not they can tighten this thing up and play a high enough level of defense to somehow survive a very challenging Boston team. Okay, it's a given. Durant Irvin got to be great. If this team's winning a championship, if they're winning this first round series, those guys have got to be spectacular. Give me an X factor, though. If the Nets are going to have prolonged success in this postseason tournament, What, in your opinion, has to happen aside from Durant being Durant and Irving being Irving? Somebody else has to emerge as a legitimate scorer. And I'm not talking about 13, 14 points per game. I'm talking about 18, 19, 20 points per game. And it can't be Andre Drummond one game, 22 and 12 boards, and the next game, six points and 11 boards. I'm talking about... Seth Curry potentially averaging 18.5 in this series, making shots consistently, stretching the defense out and creating opportunities 
where Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant can get theirs a little more easily. What's been interesting is the last stretch of the year, the four games that I mentioned and the Cleveland game, the Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant dynamic, it's been like Freaky Friday. They've swapped roles. Kyrie has been off the ball. Durant has been setting up his teammates. Kyrie has been the go-to scorer in many instances when they've needed a bucket. Does that continue in the postseason or does KD go back to the way it was where he is looking for his shot consistently? In those games, he's looking to pass it off. He's looking to set up others. I think it might be an amalgam and it's also going to be based on how Boston defends him. You know, let's face it. (laughs) They've been great defensively. Ime Udoka knows these guys. He knows them intimately. He was an assistant coach under Steve Nash last season. So to compare last year's playoff series to this year. I'm glad you mentioned that. Irrelevant. Rand said it means nothing. means nothing irrelevant. when the assistant coach is basically on your staff. And James Horton was a part of that series. I you don't have James Horton as a part of this series now. You might see him in Philadelphia if you're going north of the border, but that's about it. Yeah. So I, I would throw everything out from last year that we saw. That was a team that had Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier, completely different group a different head coach, Brad Stevens, now in the front office, did an excellent job and should be commended for it, put the right pieces together, got Al Horford back in the mix, didn't fight over the Kimba Walker-Evan Fournier decisions. In fact, I think recognized they had to move on. Addition by subtraction. That's what happened. And and the Knicks took him on, and J.J., you lived it. You saw it. Uh, it. It was not a great fit. Do you think they got a more favorable first-round matchup with Boston as opposed to Miami? Or was that no. a tough matchup either way? No, I, mean, I think it was going to be. both of those teams anyway. Let's be yeah, fair. I thought it was going to be tough either way. I think there are some Net fans that would tell you that they would have liked the Miami matchup more because uh, that was a serious, serious domination uh, when these two teams most recently played. Now, the Heat, they were going through some stuff. Uh, the Nets really took it to them. Matchup-wise, I would say Boston is probably a tougher matchup for them as compared to Miami, but either one was going to be challenging. And, you know, the Nets, the way I look at it, JJ, I don't want to make general statements that it's the end of the world if they lose this series, because some people will automatically say that, considering the expectations, considering uh, the commitment that was made to KD and Kyrie and all that they gave up to get James Harden, this was supposed to be the year. But if this is a true battle and this thing goes the way that we think it will, I think it's going to be a highly competitive series. I think it could be a seven-game series. I think it could be a drag-em-out affair. And if Boston somehow emerges in this series as a tough seven-game winner advancing to the second round, I do think the Nets can use this as something to build on for next year with Ben Simmons joining the fold. But let's see how the series plays out. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Simmons. You can't have any expectation that he's going to do anything in this series, right? I mean, how can you? Like, the idea, Ian, I mentioned this the other day. When do you see a guy who didn't play in a rotation all year? The last time he played was a playoff game against Atlanta when he didn't want to shoot and he didn't want to dunk the ball. Yep. And now expect him to go and play major minutes in a playoff series? Like, I, I can't even think of a precedent in all my years of watching sports. I can't do it. No, there is none. There is none. The difference here is that 
I think Ben is in an environment where he wants to perform. He wants to help. He wants to be a part of this. And the Nets are in a situation where they don't require him to do the things that he did in Philadelphia. They're not asking him to play 35 minutes. If he does join this rotation at some point in this series, you're looking at a 12-minute-a-night player. You're looking at someone that would fill the James Johnson role that we saw over the course of the season. Bring the ball up. Initiate the offense. Be a great switchable defender. Push the ball when necessary. Run. Create some potential easy opportunities. Drive to the rim and kick it out to an open Patty Mills, an open Seth Curry, an open Kyrie Irving, an open Kevin Durant. Play him at the four with Kevin Durant at the five on certain units, depending upon how Boston plays and whether or not Robert Williams is a part of it. So what you're asking of him is not what Philadelphia asked. And a lot's happened in a year for him. A lot. He's been through a roller coaster ride of emotions. I think he's in a good place, and I think he's motivated to be a part of this. What that means, whether or not physically he can do it, we don't know yet. But I don't think the expectation is very high from a Nets perspective of what they would need from a Ben Simmons at this stage. Final one. I got to know the week itinerary for the Iron Eagle travel plans (laughs) with the Turner schedule. And the yes schedule. We know you're going to be racking up the frequent flyer miles, but what it, what is the next week entail for one Iron Eagle? JJ, I'm going to disappoint you. I don't know yet. Wow. So we are, what, 24, 48 hours, 72 hours. I don't even know yeah. what the hell it is. It doesn't matter. The NBA playoffs, not the playing. They start Saturday. And yet Iron Eagle knows he's doing one game, right? We know the weekend. I've got uh, Chicago-Milwaukee game one. Sunday. So we know that. And then the rest of the week is TBD. TBD, man. And that that's not a comfortable place for me. I was going to say, I hope you have a traveling secretary. I'll be the first to admit it. This. I'm not a guy that likes surprise parties. Uh, I'm, I'm not you, into I feel like you'd be that. a surprise party no, kind of guy. Not a surprise party guy. I like, I like to be mentally prepared for what I'm doing. But I'll say this. The NCAA tournament does prepare you in some way for that mentality. I can't prepare because I don't know who I'm going to have yet. And that's the same philosophy of the NCAA tournament. Until you get the phone call around 845 Sunday night, Selection Sunday, that's the first that you hear of where you're going, what your matchups are. And then, JJ, I know you can't relate to this. You cram like it's a final exam for a course that you did not attend that semester. That sounds very up the alleyway of one John <laughs> Zuszewski. Let's put it that way. So I'm looking forward to the cram session. The only thing that's missing, this should be like an Instagram story chronicling your travels. So maybe, maybe I can push that and maybe your kids can push. Forget about Twitter. I've given up on Twitter. The Iron Eagle around the world Instagram story. I want it. I want it. Yeah, no, I would. That would do huge, huge numbers with uh, the demographic. Uh, They'd love it. Listen, fourteen to eighteen. Yeah, I I think. I think I would. I'm asking for a TikTok, Instagram, Instagram. (laughs) Hey, buddy, thanks so much for doing this. You are the best. When we talk about premier play-by-play voices in sports, not just in New York. New York, we're blessed. We have Breen, we have Kay, but the fact that we have Iron Eagle, I mean. It's as good as it gets, bro. So, and this is coming from Beningo too, because I told him I was working on you today. 
So he wanted to make sure we, we say it all the time on the golf course. So Joe and I send our love. Uh, go get him. We'll be watching. Okay. JJ, love you, bud. Please follow me on Snapchat. I'll go through all my, my travel escapades oh, on I that, do that. Oh, particular gladly. Gladly. social media channel. Yeah. Iron Eagle. <laughs> I have no words. Thanks, buddy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, my goodness, how good was that? How good was that? Iron freaking eagle, getting you ready for Nets and Celtics. Doesn't get any better. Doesn't get any better. All right, voicemail time. 917-382-1151 is where we make magic. We'll have our Sunday show. We'll probably do something live after game three, Nets, Celtics. We'll figure out the schedule. I think they play on Wednesday. So maybe we'll have some fun on Wednesday. And then remember, Ringer Gambling, we'll have all the playoff picks up for Friday. We'll be doing all sorts of stuff throughout the NBA postseason, House and myself. So New York, New York feed, Spotify Live, you want to refresh that app, you want to download that app for the live shows, call the live shows, you want to do that. And Ringer Gambling, we're cooking, I mean, every which way. And we're going to have Mike Renner doing some draft stuff on Sunday, who is as good as it gets with Pro Football Focus. All right, voicemail, Steph, let's go. JJ, Scott in the Bronx. Uh, good game for you win tonight. Uh, out of the order. Tyner Philosophy hit good. You know, maybe it's getting going. Trevino hit really good. But against Chapman, you know, almost blew the game. And I got to give Boone credit. He managed a pretty good game today. But we can't have, I mean, Chapman is just, he, I'm just sick of this guy already, man. He's just, I'm sick of him. He was giving you a heart attack. You know, I mean, I, I know we've had, over here, bro, I can't with this guy anymore. He just, I, I get odd watching this guy. And look, the bottom of the order was hard for the whole series. And tonight, they can do. I mean, it's a really good picture, so pick that one out. But, you know, this is a good win. Hungry against the video finals. So, hopefully, we can beat the Orioles because we had trouble against them. You know, that's it. Chapman is not getting the same benefit of the doubt that he's gotten in years past. There are going to be nights where Wallace Chapman's lights out. We saw that on opening day. We saw that the other night against the Blue Jays. This is not the night to say Chapman is done as Yankee closer. Because I, I don't believe that's the case. I don't buy that's the case. And we'll talk about his future at the end of the year. I'm talking about for 2022, Wallace Chapman is still the closer of this team. But on nights where he does not have it, out. And that's where you got to give credit to Aaron Boone. He realized, he acknowledged, my closer don't have it. I have an option in the bullpen who could do the job. Michael King made him look really, really good. To get the strikeout into the double play, fabulous. Fabulous, fabulous stuff. That's a feel move. That's a gut move. That is the sort of move I have been craving for from a Yankee perspective. And you're right about the narrative beating up on the Orioles. They did not do a good enough job of it last year. And the bats have been ice cold. Go to Camden Yards. I don't care if the dimensions have changed a little bit. And go pummel a bad baseball team. And good for Connor Falafel to get going. The Yankees, they needed something out of that bottom of the order. 
And on Thursday night, the hitting heroes were kind of Falefa and Trevino. Go figure. Who's next? What is up, JJ? This is Joe from Brooklyn. I got a few things to throw your way. Three things. First, note of gratitude for your Orioles take the other day. When I heard the pod, threw some scratch on it, got me the win. So I appreciate that. Second, you've talked a few times about how the days of the consistent lineup are long gone. And I agree with you. And I've even come around to accept it with our beloved New York Yankees. But, you know, I, I can tolerate some of the mixing and matching in the outfield. But I think as far as the infield goes, Glaber needs to become trade bait come the deadline. I'm hoping that every time he comes out there, it's solely to try to boost his stock because I'd rather have DJ in there full time. Want to hear your thoughts on that? DJ Omeyu has to play every day. And what's encouraging about what I've seen over the first two weeks or week and a half of this year, DJ LeMayu's hitting the ball with authority the other way, and he's coming through in those clutch situations. He had a big hit the other day with runners on base. That was vintage DJ from 2019 and 2020. And look, there are going to be decisions that need to be made within the lineup every day. Hicks, Gallo, Donaldson, LeMayu is going to be a guy that you want written in that lineup day after day after day. And the Yankee best lineup, without question, features DJ LeMayu. The question is going to be, how long does Aaron Boone stick with Josh Donaldson in the leadoff spot? And does he flirt with the idea of putting DJ back in that position? I kind of like DJ behind Stanton. I'm not going to lie. I like it because it provides John Carlo with the sort of protection I think that he needs. Like, I'm cool with going Donaldson, Judge, Rizzo, or Donaldson, Rizzo, Judge, into Stanton, into LeMayu, and on and on we go. I can roll with that. Maybe they want to put Rizzo in that leadoff spot if he's getting on base. They might want to fool with some tinkering and whatnot. But for LeMayu, I, I love them in the leadoff spot in 19 and 20. Kind of seeing the logic, though, and keeping him behind John Carlo. All right, one more, and then we got some trivia coming your way. Yeah, JJ, Tom from Massapequa, watching the Yankee game, watching Glaber Torres do what he does best, make fucking terrible errors to ruin the game. I, this was one of those things that happened in the past. Glaber makes an error, screws up the, um, the whole game, and then you could pretty much turn the game off. Once they tied the game, you knew that it was over. And it's five to three. I'm just going to assume that it's over still. But, uh, Glaber's just, he's got to stop with this bullshit. He's, when he first came up, it's like, oh, he's only 20, 20 years old, 21 years old, blah, blah, blah. And now he can't hit or field. So he's pretty much useless. I think they should just trade him for a pitcher if he still has the value. And on to Aaron Judge. They offered him a very, very fair contract, and he keeps saying that he wants to be in New York, he wants to be a Yankee, blah, blah, blah. And then he comes out and he wants $300 million. Like, are you fucking kidding me? The guy's 30 years old. But, all right. Talk to you. There are insulting contract offers. I'll give you an example. Xander Bogarts and what the Red Sox offered Xander Bogarts that's an insulting contract offer. 
What the Yankees offered Aaron Judge is fair. It's reasonable. Judge is betting on himself. Judge thinks he's going to shatter that and he's going to have a monster year and you're going to have to pay him a heck of a lot more. We'll revisit that conversation in October. As far as Gleyber Torres, look, it's a big year for him. I think so far offensively, he's been okay. He's not been terrible. He's not been great. Nice seeing opposite field power the other day, but that was a big boo-boo. Not being able to handle the relay on that double play was costly to the Yankees. Now, they might have lost the game anyway. Vlad Guerrero Jr. ends up hitting a home run. A lot of hypotheticals, a lot of what-ifs. But LeMayu, to me, is far more of a given to play than Torres. LeMayu's going to play. Torres has got to earn that right. That's why Aaron Boone sat him on opening day. I didn't hate it. For a guy who has underperformed the last two years, it's kind of a message of, let's try to light a fire under this guy. He's clearly more comfortable at second base. Don't ever put him at shortstop. And let's see where Glaber is at mid-May into June. I want to see the power. Hope there's a comfort level. And hopefully he's around that 280, 290 range with some pop. I'd sign right now for Glaber Torres this season. If Glaber Torres hits 280 with 24 bombs and 74 RBIs, done. And decent defense in second base, I'm in. I don't even need 38 home runs like I saw a couple years ago. 275, 285, mid to high 20s, 70s in the RBI range. Yankee fans should be very, very happy if indeed that ends up being the case. But listen, today, a lot of heroes. Trevino, Tanner Falefa, Michael King. The two biggest heroes, Luis Severino and Aaron freaking Boone. I don't know what to do with myself. We're living in a bizarre world, so hopefully the bizarre world means I'm going to have a killer performance in the trivia game. I'm ready. I'm fired up. Larry, the floor is yours, buddy. KJ Larry in Florida. Two baseball night. Who are the only two Blue Jays in history to go 30 home or 30 stolen bases? Second one is Soto is the, since 1969, Juan Soto is the fourth Youngest player to 100 homers. Who are the Who are the three fast the three fastest players to 100 homers since 1969? I'm out. We got some good ones. Larry, bringing the heat. Let's start first with the Toronto Blue Jays to go 30-30. Toronto Blue Jays 30-30. Two of them. The first guy I am going to give you, Larry, Sean Green. Felt good about that. Felt good about that. That was when Sean Green used to run a lot. It's funny. Eamon McEnany, my esteemed SOI anchor, was like rattling off Blue Jay sluggers. He was like, JJ, give me a Blue Jay slugger. He already had like Joe Carter and Joey Bats in the, in the prompter. And I was like, Carlos still got him. And I also gave him Sean Green. He didn't want Sean Green. I'm like, dude, Sean Green had some monster years for the Blue Jays. One down, one to go. Choice two, Stefan. Not positive about this, but I'm giving him out anyway. Is it Bo Bichette? <laughs> ah, I thought maybe the recency was going to help me. It did not. It did not. Blue Jay, 30-30. I got one. The other one, 
Is it Jesse Barfield? <laughs> it is not Jesse Barfield. Okay. All right, I'm giving one more, and then I'm going to the hint department. Is it George Bell? <laughs> All right. All right. Now, now we're hitting the struggle city. Is there a particular hint you could give me for this answer, Stefan? All right. Um, this guy played on the Blue Jays during the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, okay. Wasn't a very popular guy. He did win a Globe Gov um, one time, but it wasn't with the Blue Jays. It was actually after he left the Blue Jays. Uh, played 12 years. Now, when um, you say not a popular guy, meaning a household name, or are we talking about him being a jackass? Not a not a household name is what I was saying. Okay. Not a household name. Is it Tony Bautista? <laughs> that was one I was thinking about. Because he ran away. He ran away. Outfield or infield, Stefan? Outfielder, Jay. Outfielder. Late 90s Blue Jays. Outfielder. And I got Sean Green. So, oh, I think I know. Is it Raul Mondesi? <laughs> oh, man. I was feeling frisky with that one. Where else did he play, Stefan? Does that give it away or no? I don't think it gives it away because he was kind of a journeyman after. Okay, okay. Um, he played for the Giants, played for the Red Sox for a little bit. Played in Arizona, played for the Diamondbacks, uh, played for the Dodgers, played for the Padres, played in Houston. He kind of was a journeyman after he left Toronto, so it wouldn't really give away that Bounced much. around and went 30-30 with the Blue Jays. Man. Late 90s. This is going to piss me off. This is really going to piss me off. So I was going to guess Vernon Wells, but Vernon Wells did not bounce around the way this particular player bounced around. I, I give up. Who is it? Jose Cruz. Wow, I forgot about Jose Cruz Jr. Yeah, I forgot he went 30-30. Wow. That's funny, man. Would not have struck me as a 30-30 guy. That's a good job, Larry. I'm proud I got one of those, to be honest with you. Those are tough. I was really feeling frisky after green, and then we hit Struggle City. Major, major Struggle City. All right. Question two. Soto is the fourth youngest to 100 home runs, the other three since 1969. All right. Let's start with Alexander Rodriguez. One down, three to go. Number two, Stefan, Mark McGuire. Ooh, okay. I mean, McGuire hit like 50-something his rookie year, so I thought we were well on our way. Okay, so McGuire is out. Number two, Albert Pujols. Felt like I was well on my way. Felt like I was well on my way. 100 home runs since 1969. Youngest guys to do it. 
Hmm. We got one. We got to get two more. Griffey Jr.? My goodness. This is a sad performance. I, I thought I was well on my way here. I was feeling frisky. I was feeling confident. Getting humbled a little. Definitely getting humbled a little. Manny Ramirez. Stefan, <laughs> what we say that these other two players are Hall of Fame caliber players. Absolutely. 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 Okay. Absolutely. Of my era of baseball. Of your era of baseball. Two amazing guys. Two amazing guys. Matt, I'll give you this. They're both for outfielders. Okay. Barry Bonds. <laughs> my goodness. My freaking goodness. Outfielders. Amazing outfielders. My my era of baseball. This is I I'm I'm at a loss right now. I am at a freaking loss right now. Because I got A-Rod so easily. Got him so, so easily. I think I got one. Mike Trout. <laughs> Where are we going here? Jesus, Larry. I mean, maybe my trivia performance is just off. American and National League players, Stefan. Uh, they have both played in both leagues. Both of them, actually. But they're more... Hmm. All right. One is, one is more notable in AL, and the other one was very notable in NL. Okay. Giancarlo Stanton. <clears throat> this, is, this is something. I mean, I feel like I'm like rolling through power hitter after power hitter after power hitter. And guys to fly to home runs. Holy smokes. I'm asking for one hint, Stefan. And if it does not get me going, I am waving the white flag. Where you want to go with it? I'll let you decide. All right. Uh, one of these guys has been argued that he should be in a Hall of Fame right now. Like, he gets argued about every year. I'll give you that. And the other guy is a walk-in when he retires. I'll give you that. Okay, so one is a shoe-in. Oh, I think I know one. Miguel Cabrera. Okay, there we go. There we go. I got my confidence back a little bit. It's amazing. You don't think of Miguel Cabrera as a young player, but he has been. I mean, he was in the World Series in 03 with the Marlins, and he was skinny, and he's basically been playing ever since. He is the walk-in. The other guy who, I guess, is being argued as a Hall of Famer, is it Gary Sheffield? Is not Gary Sheffield. Okay. He's being argued to be a Hall of Famer. Oh, man. A steroid guy, Stefan? I don't think he was a steroid guy. I don't, I, I don't, no, I, I don't remember his name ever coming up in a Mitchell report. Okay. I'm not sure if he's a steroid guy. He's an outfit. All right, just tell me. I'm going to be annoyed. Who is it? Andrew Jones. Andrew Jones. That's a good call. That's a good call. And, and Andrew Jones does have a compelling Hall of Fame case. It's excellent. Excellent job, Stefan. Me, on the other hand, not so much. 
I am glad that I was able to pull Miguel Cabrera out of the out of the fire, but just not my best. I got off to a roaring start. A Rod easy, Sean Green easy, and then it's like hitting your first drive down the fairway and hitting like seven shanks. That was basically that was my trivia performance in a nutshell. All right, we got a loaded weekend. We got NBA playoff games galore. Jeff Money. I don't know where you're going, Jeff Money. Baseball, basketball, hockey. We'll come back and get a sense for where you're going for the weekend, pal. All right, I know where my series prices are going. We'll unveil them tomorrow on the Ring of Gambling show. I will give you guys a freebie, though, for the Saturday card in the NBA and maybe a freebie in the uh, world of Major League Baseball on Friday. But Jeff Money, what do you got in store for us, pal? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This could be for Friday the 15th in the NBA action. I'm going to go with the Clippers minus the four over the Pelicans. Again, I'm going to take the Clippers minus the four. Little NBA action. All right, everyone can always follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Jeff Money, you're not going to like this. I'm heads up with you in this basketball game. New Orleans is playing really well. And the fact that this line has gone from Clippers by five to Clippers by four concerning, we will be heads up, my friend. You will be on Los Angeles. I will be on New Orleans. I don't have a feel for Atlanta and Cleveland. I think Atlanta's getting way too much love. The public is pounding them. Might actually be some sneaky value in the Cavs plus two, but I'm not touching that game. I do like New Orleans. I will play New Orleans uh, plus four. And it's for a Saturday. If there's a game I like on Saturday that I would suggest to the friends of New York, New York, the Minnesota Timberwolves grabbing seven against the Memphis Grizzlies, sign me up right now. Memphis game one, there'll be game one jitters. The Timberwolves just played a playoff game a few days ago. I do not think Carl Anthony Towns will be as bad as he was. And I'm getting seven points in the process. That's your freebie. The rest of the picks, you'll hear them on Ring of Gambling with Joe House tomorrow. But I will be on the Memphis Grizzlies. Heads up. If you want to take Memphis, be my guest. I will be on the Minnesota Timberwolves plus the seven. And I'm thinking about a little New York, New York money line parlay tomorrow. Mets don't lose on the, in their home opener. So you take them. They're at minus 200. Yankees are minus 200 in Baltimore. Let's get them both. Plus the even money. Yankees, Mets, two-teamer. Let's go. New York, New York. Plus, I like the Chicago White Sox tomorrow against the Rays. A lot of possibilities. A lot of options. Fabulous job. Ian Eagle. Calls are great. Stefan, fabulous work. We are back Sunday after game one. Nets and Celtics. And should be a weekend of getting fat if you're the two New York baseball locals. Yankees against the Orioles. Mets against the Diamondbacks. Enjoy the weekend. Happy Easter. Passover. Whatever you celebrate. Until then, JJ out. Forget everybody.